0: You for listening to this message from the North. So I want to I want to talk to you guys about relationships, identity, and purpose, and really the sweet spot, like Apostle calls it, right, or the intersection of these three things. These three things, for those listening here, it's a Venn diagram. This is called a Venn diagram, and you have the three overlapping circles. In the middle is a sweet spot. And this is kind of the key to everything when it comes to human beings. I've I've worked with the homeless for years in that I've done community education with executives of bit hospitals, economic developers, all these different things. millionaires, all outside of the church, I'm saying, okay outside of the church realm at work. And what I noticed is it doesn't matter where you are, these three things are at play and certain people groups will value certain things or certain types of things but, these three are always at play. And Harvard did a study, um, and I think multiple people have done this study years ago. See this little pie chart down here? And it, it corresponds with this pretty well. This is, this is something that I felt like the Lord put on my heart to write down, which we're going to get into. But this is something that Harvard came up with. They, this, this guy went around all, like, 122 nations or something like that. And he studied the happiest people around the world like what they did, how they viewed life, how they viewed things. Um, and, he, and they discovered this. 51% according to like actual science and doctors, 51% of happiness is genetic that you can't really do anything about, they say. Like some people are just more hardwired to be happier than others. but But don't let that cripple you, okay? What that should tell you is Because if you actually learn anything about the Human Genome Project, which I'm not going to get into, it's my first rabbit show, Mama J, is genetics are not set in stone. Genetics will change based on what you're exposed to and based on your behavior. So if you have someone that starts smoking, it'll introduce a smoking gene into their bloodline, which is scary. But the opposite is true. If you instill good values and and, and you practice certain things like to be healthy, genetically things will begin to move. So your offspring will have that too. Not just value wise, but your genes will actually shift. Okay. And I know you guys are a little young. I'm not going to get to the details, but someone that is married or someone that has the act of someone that's married. Catch what I'm saying? The Bible says to become one. This is, this is, you know, I'll speak to you guys maturely because I think you're old enough. This is why we just don't sleep with whoever we want to sleep with randomly throughout our lives. The Bible actually, Paul said, I speak a mystery, but two become one. Do you know scientifically they found when you sleep with someone, you actually exchange DNA without being pregnant? That literally the act itself, they found it's even higher for women than it is for men. That literally, through the process of intimacy, they even found genetic changes even in the brains of women. And it gets amplified when they're pregnant. But it doesn't take pregnancy. That women actually share the genes with their kids, and their kid will actually, baby in the womb, I'm saying, will actually change and modify certain genes. And they found even differences in the brain based off. The act of intimacy. So people out there just sleeping with whoever they think is hot or having a good time at a bar and don't even know the person and they have no idea what they're doing, even to their down to the genome, to the genetic code. They're actually changing it, having no idea the history of that person or anything about them. So it just it just takes a whole different level scientifically of why you don't want to mess around. You could literally instill stuff down your kids that you had no control over their history, but now you just invited in through the act of intimacy that it actually changed your genome. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Pretty crazy. It's kind of scary, but if you pick the right one, it's pretty good. So out of this happiness scale, fifty-one percent it's genetics, and you could do nothing about. And part of that is that if you get someone that's mad and angry all the time, like, and you pick them as a partner, that that that's going to be passed down if they don't overcome that, right? Now, how much, how much, what percent do you think money and status has to do with happiness? Without looking at the board cheating. I see Trent's eyes going that way. This is this was shocking because I thought it'd be a little higher, but it's not. 1% of happiness is literally about money. They actually talk about uh, GDP growth in countries and different stuff about certain things. Once you get a certain level where you're like middle class, lower middle class comfortable. Money doesn't really affect your your happiness too much after that. Once you have enough to have what you need and a little bit more, most people are cool with that and don't don't need. So everyone guns for this in our culture, but but why are they miserable? Why do they have? Why do Hollywood folks have like multiple marriages? Why do why do boxers and like Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield? How do they go broke after making hundreds of million dollars? Because nothing satisfies. Because all they have is that. Now. Here's the thing, there's 49% of this that you can't control. One of it is money and success and status. That's it, 1%. Out of the 49% you could control, that's it. 1% is that. The other 48% breaks down to three things, and it sounds a lot like this, and it sounds a lot like what we teach in this church. Healthy relationships, generosity, which I think is directly tied to identity, and purpose. The happiest people, no matter what culture you're talking, in Nepal, Tibet, Japan, anywhere they went, South America, it doesn't matter. Europe, the happiest people across culture had these three things is they had healthy relationships, they were generous, and they had a strong sense of purpose. Now, coming up here, these three things. Relationships, identity, and purpose. I've discovered this through teaching the homeless and through teaching executives at work that if you don't have something in here, if you're missing one of these component components, you're gonna fall short. You're you're gonna fall short. I know people that have healthy relationships or closer family and they have a strong sense of identity. They like, they know who are, who they are, what they're about and what they're you know, what they're looking for in, in their worldview, but they feel like they need something more. Why do they still feel a, a degree of emptiness in them, Ed? What do you think? What are they missing? Purpose. They're like, man, I, I love my family. I have a lot of friends. I know who I am and what I'm about, but I, I just don't. I'm looking for meaning, you know? They may have a job or they make money, but in it, they're not really fulfilled anything. So you know a lot of times what these people do? They'll volunteer. They'll serve. They'll do philanthropy, even wealthy people like LeBron. I just heard he took over this place Tangiers in Akron. I went to a meeting yesterday in Fairlawn. I'm like, you guys used to meet at Tangiers, what are you doing? Takes that over. What are they doing? They're trying to find a sense of purpose or meaning. You could you could put meaning in with purpose, okay? You could even break this down, guys. What's cool about this is you can even break this down to funerals. What do they say when someone passes in a eulogy? What, what's the information in a eulogy or an obituary in a paper? Like or when they email it out. What is it? Go ahead, bug. What do they tell? They tell who a person is. Here's whoever, Bill. Here, here lies Billy Bob, or whatever. Right. So he, he was he was 85 years old from Ravenna, Ohio. Right. What do they? What is that on here? Who he was. They're like he survived by who? Relationships. What's the last thing they talk about in an obituary? Accomplishments. He liked to hunt and fish. He worked at GM for 40 years. Loved to volunteer and serve at his local church. Guess what that was? Purpose. Accomplishments or purpose. Fishing is not accomplishment, but it's something that people get a sense of meaning from, right? Caden's like, heck yeah, I'm so into that right now. He's like, yep. Do you see how this works? Even in obituaries, these three dynamics are always in play. Relationships, identity, and purpose. When it comes to happiness, What you're going to be known for at the end of your life on earth is going to be these three things. Who did I do life with? Who am I? And what was I about? That's it. And if you have a strong, healthy sense of all these, you'll do it. So a rich man that knows, that's confident, he has identity and he's got a good family, but he's still not happy because he's living where? Where's my marker? We'll call him person A right here. He's living there. So he's not in the sweet spot, right? You have someone that has great relationships and they're into volunteerism, but they have no strong sense of identity. Identity, They're right there. They're in the intersect of relationships and purpose, and they have a dimension of happiness, but they can never seem confident in their own skin. Do you know someone like that? They're always like, I'm sorry, am I not good enough that I offend you? They're always walking on eggshells around you and you're like, stop it. Why are you doing that? Right? Because they're good with relationships. They love you and they volunteer and they're a part of the community. So they have purpose, but they're struggling up here. So they're not in a sweet spot. Does this make sense? Okay. Now what about purpose and identity? Have you ever met a really mission driven person? You're just saying like, man, I'm going for this particular thing, whether it's a business, okay? Let's talk about Donald Trump. Not, not not, the political side. Let's talk about Donald Trump in relationship to relationships, identity, and purpose, okay? Does he have a strong sense of purpose? He's, yes, mission, I want to turn this country around. Does he have a strong sense of identity? Maybe a little too much, <laughs> Okay? How is he in relationships? I'm not part of his family, so I don't know what those look like. But if it's, in, you know, he, he could be completely different at home. Does he win in that area, at least publicly? No. So he would be over here. Donald Trump, it's, it's not a purpose. He's got a mission. He know he's, he, they, they say he sleeps four hours a day. He's so obsessed with his businesses and stuff. Like, four hours a night, he literally just goes to sleep at midnight. He wakes up at, like, four, and he can't. It's all you can think about. You can't stop a guy like that. I'm not saying he's going to be president or I even like him. This area, he sucks in. He belittles people all the time, not just his competitors. Like, you know what I'm saying? Even people he's friends with, you know, on a campaign trail, he'll start killing his own side. He doesn't care about this as much. I'm not saying with his kids. I don't know what that damn it looks like because sometimes the public – player is much different than a private dad or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Purpose-driven identity. I wouldn't be shocked though if Donald Trump's kids, how he treats Barron, is really lining him with this, making him confident and lining him here. Because a lot of wealthy people struggle with this right here. And their kids are a mess and they're a mess. Come on, have you ever seen these like Paris Hilton back in the day? I mean, you're probably a little young for that, but she was alcoholic, doing drugs, running around all these TV programs. She she seemed to have that but she probably didn't but she you know what i'm saying they, a lot of times they fail in relationships so you need these three dynamics all the time to be playing for you spiritually physically whatever this these are three things and so we get all three of these things in christ okay so question number 1 life is the most fruitful and fulfilling in the sweet spot of what relationships identity and purpose so how do we, as Christians now, our people of faith, what is this sweet spot all centered on? Yeah, Christ. What are we in relationship to God? He is our what? We are his. What about this? We even have a name for ourselves. We're Christian. We're the brethren, depending on what you, what church group you're part of. We're the brethren, right? I'm a North Gator. Where does that belong up here? Identity identifies a North Gator. What does that mean? It's got its own sense of culture, doesn't it? Oh, you go to that church. (laughs) They even out there has a sense of identity. Maybe not good for everybody, but Christ is centering all this. What about our purpose? How does Christ start to connect to our purpose? Well, that's secondary. There's, We're going to talk about this in a minute. B.B. said something real powerful Thursday. I said, the most powerful thing I think you said tonight, and, and he didn't dwell on it. He just kind of mentioned it. We moved to the altar call. Is And he kind of laid a real big foundation, so I don't think he had time to really lay it down. So I was like, man, this morning, I was like, I really want to touch on this because Jesus goes to the 12, and he says, who do men say that I am? And then he then he asked him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of God. What is Christ? As soon as Peter identifies God rightly, what now, what does Jesus now do to Peter? Because you can now see me rightly, who who can you now see rightly? Peter can now see himself rightly. He changes his name. He says, I no longer call you Simon, which means a reed blowing in wind, but I call you Peter, which means a rock. What's the difference between a reed blown in wind? It just gets taken. If you know Peter's life, he flew all over the place. He was out of control. Minute, one minute, this, really emotional guy. Then he became the, Jesus said, but that's not who you are, Peter. You're all over the place now, but I say you're actually a rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And some people are like, no, that's the knowledge of God. He wasn't talking about Peter. Bullcrap. He called Peter out. He's speaking to Peter. And he said, you're the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Who was the guy at the day of Pentecost? Peter. So quit saying that. They're trying to twist themselves to put that in the picture. Who was one of the 12 foundation stones in the New Jerusalem? Peter. And preachers Screw that up because you're trying to put themselves too much and, and disqualify Peter. No, 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 no. Honor Peter, then you might become a foundation stone on top of what he built. Amen? That's another, that's a religious system rant. Probably means not much to you guys. All right. So you could say it like this. Number two, to know God is to discover Who? however you want to word that, ourselves, yourself, me. To know God is to discover myself. Does that make sense? I call this, it just came to mind this morning. So this is not a scientific term. I call it the relational mirror effect. What does the mirror do? Go ahead, Toby. No, the, yeah, this one, yeah, this is us. It is, but but it, as a Christian, as a son of God, that determines the priority in all these three areas. So you have you have Christ setting this in stone, and then you have your own individual authenticity of what this looks like. We're not clones. We're not robots. He made us like fingerprints. Not one of us are the same. And our, he uses our experience, and he puts us on like gloves which is a whole nother lesson I'm not going to get into. He, he literally lives in our skin where the temple, he lives inside of our bodies and he expresses his core values, his attributes, his essence through our authenticity in various ways. Does that make sense? That's why the style is different. You may like hip hop. Caden may like ballet. I mean, country. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the style. Style's not, the essence of Christ that he's bringing. We don't walk around at togas. That's not what it's about. How you dress has nothing to do with anything. It may, how you dress may change how people perceive you and that kind of stuff. It has to do with excellence, but it doesn't really have to do with this. And part of the problem is this, is people find their identity in temporary things. You know what I'm saying? If Buggy can't move on from the mullet, he's going to be like Joe Dirt, isn't he? Right? 50 years old, 30 years after mullets were still, he can't let it go. But Buggy's not like that. He changed. So Buggy's identity didn't come from a hairstyle. He was just having fun with it. There's nothing wrong with having fun with it. But when it overtakes your a style, a trend overtakes your identity over Christ and what you're actually who you really are, then it becomes a problem. Does that make sense? Cuddy here is country. There's nothing wrong with country. But if, if that, you can't do anything outside of country... And that's a prison. Does that make sense? Having fun and I enjoy this style and this way life is cool. But if it becomes a prison to you, you're not free. Does that make sense? So what does a mirror do? Have have you ever been in like the city? Because the ones out here, I don't think do it. And have an ambulance behind you and you see the word ambulance. But you see it in person and it's spelled in reverse. Have you ever seen that? No? Do they do that anymore? Is that an old timer thing? So like back in the day, a lot of, if you, especially if you go to the city, they have ambulance written on the front. So you know what an ambulance is, right? It would say ambulance, but it'd be spelled in reverse. Do you want to know why they did that? Because a mirror effect. So if you're driving, look in your rear view mirror, you're not seeing it backwards. You actually clearly see ambulance say, no, get out of the way. Okay. Okay. So a mirror effect is re- the same, but reverse. So relational mirror effect with the Lord has the same type of implication. It's the same, but reverse. Okay. Number three, if God is my father, then that makes me what? His son. Exactly. If he is my bridegroom or husband, that makes me his bride. Well, bridegroom is husband to be, I guess, right? Old school Bible terms. If he loves me, that makes me his Beloved, see how this is reciprocal? So every truth that we find in Scripture or from God actually has a relationship attached to it, has an identity and it has a purpose. If he's my redeemer, that makes me what? Redeemed. If he is my healer, that makes me what? Healed. That's something Trent's believing for now. But in order to for us to walk in that, we actually have to believe he's our healer, not that he heals but that he's my healer. Because now that steps me into an identity of, no, I'm healed because he's my healer. I'm a son because he's my father. Does that make sense? Does that give you a nice framework? So when you you learn something about God, Chloe, there's a relational impact of what that means about you. So when you read that he's savior, that means you're what? Saved. He's a provider. What does that mean for you? That he provides for you. Every answer is an identity of who God is, it has a mirror effect of who you are, okay? Now, B.B. hit a portion of this. What's the two main purposes of every Christian? The two main purpose, number four, the two main purposes of every Christian is to what? To know him. Who knows the second part of that? Nope. I mean, that's a good thing to love him for sure. I'm going to give you him. We're going to read the scriptures real quick. I'm gonna cover what we just covered. The first part, to know God. John 17, three says, and this is the eternal life that they may know you, the one true living God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So the first thing, our first purpose of every Christian on the planet is to first what? Know God. The second part is found in 1 John 4, 17. This is how the Amplified. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance of boldness to face him, because as he is, so are we in this world. So the two main purposes of a Christian is to know him and to what? Be like him. I need to know him, because without knowing him, I'll never be like him. But First John 4 says, when he appears as he is, then we know we'll be like him. So everything comes through the knowledge of God. Everything comes through that intimacy. So if you ask God, how many of have ever asked God, what's my purpose? Here it is, to know him and to be like him. That's your first and primary, foremost purpose. Now, if you're asking where you're gonna send me, then you're talking the seven mountains. You're talking fivefold ministry. You're talking geography. Where am I gonna live, right? These are secondary questions. The first question is, to know him and to be like him. And if you can know him, be like him, you can be successful anywhere. But there's also a, a plan on the secondary part. It's not that the secondary part isn't purpose, but if he hasn't revealed his plan to you, Nate, you don't have to worry about it too much yet. Your primary job is to know him and to grow into being like him. And then he'll start to unveil plans for you. I'm, I'm not telling you not to plan, but as you begin to unveil plans, you begin to discover more about yourself because I wanted to be a marketing guru and write Bud Light Real Men of Genius commercials when I was in college. I got saved. That changed everything. Then I wanted to help people. So guess what? The 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 wannabe uh, marketing guru became a social worker. That's a, that's a whole different world from taking advantage of people and, and promoting alcoholism to helping the homeless get off alcohol. Big difference. Big difference. Toby, you had your hand raised. Go ahead. Yes. The kingdom is coming. He's, he's the one who is, who was, and is, and what? And is to come. So he was here, he is here, and he's what? He's coming. You were saved, you're being saved, and what? You will be saved. So you have access now. He lives in all, those are all dimensions of time, past, present, and future. He's involved with all of them. Does that make sense? It's a little abstract for our little earthly minds. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of mind blowing, but that's the mystery. You just I don't fully understand that. I don't think anyone does. But you, you just live in that. Does that make sense? Let me ask you this before we move on. So, if our our biggest purpose is to know God, what does that mean? Have a relationship, to seek Him, to bear a bond. That was like straight up dictionary.com there. I like that. All right. Who? What else? What else? To bond with them. That's right, Toby. You're not wrong. Like, what else? What does it mean to actually know them? Think about your friends. What do you know about your friends? You and Talani, do you guys do like little, like, Jen and her sisters that got this, like, weird. We hate playing games, all the brother-in-laws, because we hate playing games because they have these nonverbal cues where they cheat without cheating. They look and just do this, like, and they're like, you know, we're playing, like, this game Celebrity, and they're like, and they're like, San Francisco, 1948. Hey, Nasbury Street. And you're like, come on. So we always get mad because they kill it. They have these cues being sisters. They have this, these things they do. What about personality? Is knowing someone, what does it take, what does it mean when you actually know someone? Not know, not like an acquaintance. Like you know, oh yeah, I go to school with that guy, but you really don't know him. What does that mean like when you actually know someone? Yeah, you live every, yeah, you know their ways. No, did you ever have a friend where someone said something wrong to him? You're like, oh, they shouldn't have said it to that guy. Ooh, ooh, that. Why? Because you know that guy's ways, and he ain't going to take whatever that person did. You're like, I know his ways. So to know God means what? I know his ways. What about his thoughts, intentions, attributes? How many of how you many friends, and maybe girls are better than guys, that you can finish each other's senses? I was I just going to really say that, Right? Sandwiches, Guys are different. Yeah, they finish each other's sandwiches. Amen. That's what men are for. So what I like about Dakota. You're going to eat that? I'll finish it. Well, you don't have to feel nothing's wasted. All right. So to know God, it means to know his personality. As a man knows a friend. To know his ways, his thoughts and intentions, right? To know his heart and emotions. Israel fell away from God Often, but Moses never did. And Psalms 103.7 says, Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. How, can, how could David fall so hard? And if you actually weigh out what David did sin-wise, it was way worse than Saul. Saul got judged and lost the kingdom. How did David come back and still be king? Saul went to make a sacrifice. David ate bread off the altar. He didn't get that judgment. How, how was that different? He had a relationship, and David knew God's mercy, and Saul was so terrified of God, even though he was called to be king, he hid in the equipping room and wouldn't come out when they announced him. Why? Because he didn't know God's ways. David knew God's ways. Even when David got judged one time, they're like, hey, you have three options of judgment here. And he said, put me into the hands of the Lord, because I know in him there's mercy. Most people would have ran from God and said, give me the first way, because I don't want that dude to kill me. He said, no, there's mercy with him. I'll put, I trust my hands to the Lord, not an angel. Does that make sense? So knowing God's ways is critically important because when you fall, Toby, when you stumble, you know what happens? You have a choice. That could be like Adam and Eve and you try to like act like it never happened and cover yourself with leaves. Or you can run to them and say, I blew it, but I know you're not rejecting me. You know, when I had my own ministry at the the freedom prayer room, Oftentimes people would disappear and I'd be like, we'd run into each other, like, hey, what's going on? Or I'd hear some kind of side gossip and people were like, I don't come back because I know you guys are talking about me. Two different situations of of two people I knew. Right off the tip of my head. And we're like, we're not talking about you. No one even noticed you were gone, honestly. I mean, if there's anything we if there's anything we missed back then was oh, we didn't even realize you weren't here. And found out that person fell back, he relapsed into drugs. And so he was bad mouthing the church to everybody. He was saying, This is way back before I ever met your pastor. This is not about Northgate. This is about me back then. And he's like, There are, ah, screw those hypocrites. They're always talking about people. They're doing this or that or that. What was actually going on? He was using drugs. And so whenever a church would get brought up, he felt bad and he lashed out at us. When people unjustly lash out and lie about you or lie about the church, guess what? A lot of times is going on, there's some kind of hidden issue. That's yet to be revealed. Another person did the same kind of thing. Um, found out she was sleeping with someone she wasn't married to, but she could discern everything about other people. So it's right. So so there's a little dynamic going on there. So they know of God, they believe in miracles, they see them work, but they may not be convinced of His ways, and that's why beloved identity is so important. Chloe, is when you know you're loved, and you you blow it. You know, I mean you guys aren't being raised with the God is judge thing like we were. Like I thought I missed a rapture every five minutes. So I could wake up my mom's and my aunt's house. I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna burn in hell, I'm gonna have to get my head cut off because that's some scary stuff they thought. Some of those guys still teach that stuff. So, you know, you've heard pastor Steph's shaking her head. We've all done that. We're like, oh God, I'm gonna have to get my head chopped off. I'm gonna so I don't burn in hell. Like it was a weird, weird dynamic. Thank God you guys don't get taught that. Amen. All right. So how do we increase in our knowledge of God. How do we increase that? Study Him. Yeah, to study, to meditate on the scriptures, right? What else? Listen for His voice. What'd you say, Nate? Devotion. Yes. Anyone else? Any other? What about listen to Apostle? Listen to Pastor. Do you learn about God by listening to other people? Yes. Are you learning about God now? Even if you don't really believe that, thank you. That was nice. All right. To spend time with them, like Nate said, to behold him, to understand the time and seasons, which we're a part of, of things. We'll find out that God sometimes reveals different aspects of himself. Apostles have been talking about beloved identity for years, right? Guess what he mentioned the other day about being the bride a few weeks ago. That's a different dynamic. It's similar, but it's a different dynamic. Okay? Does this make sense for you? All right, we're going to go now. We're going to talk about the six levels of relationship. Okay? You guys got some clues on your sheet here. There's six levels of relationship. What do you think number one is? These type of people, they believe in God and they ascribe to the faith. And I'm going to explain why this is important. When we're going to go through these, I'm going to explain why understanding these dynamics are very important. First level of relationship with God. Anyone want to guess what that is? You can call them believers, but the, the more probably appropriate name is convert. Have you ever heard that? If you ever read the Bible, the, the, the passions may not even use that word. But have you ever heard they converted to the faith? Okay. So that's someone that believes in Christ, someone that believes in God but they may not necessarily follow Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? You probably have relatives. Now, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, brother. Yeah, but but you just, your whole lifestyle has no fruit that you actually believe anything. Okay? So they may be by label, by name, a Christian, but by fruit, they're not. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean everyone that's a true convert. There might be, there's a difference between true and false converts, and I'll, I'm not gonna split the hairs in that. But, or you could say, believers. Because they believe in God, and they believe in him. They're just, they, 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 some people only take it that far. Does that make sense? Okay. So 5A is converts or believers. You could use any one of that. Okay. The second type of person, the second level of relationship, these people do the work of the Lord, serving one another, and maybe even serve in ministry. Guess what they're called? This was an easy one. Servant. Servants are very important, aren't they? How many of you know a servant of the Lord? How many of you are a servant of the Lord? Raise your hand. Every hand should go up. Yeah. You help pick up a chair. You help clean the church when you leave, right? Maybe not, you may not be on the care team or people that are on a care team, they're servants, okay? They may not be disciples. We're going to talk about that later. But there's definitely a servant. They help each other out. They do the work of the Lord to some degree, whether that's helping in nursery. How many help in nursery here? The youth, right? Those are servants. Servants are good. These aren't bad things. They're just different levels. All right, number three, these people are followers and learning and applying what the master teaches. Disciple. So you could be a servant and not a disciple. What's the difference, Trent? What does a servant do? Serves, what does a disciple do? You can serve in a church, but are you following the leader? Or are you following God? Because you could serve in a church and be an overt sin. You could be living with someone you're not married to. You could be practicing a lifestyle. You could be on drugs and be in straight sin, but still volunteer in your church and no one knows yet. Or maybe they, you know, some churches they don't even care anymore because they just want help. Which is not good. So the third level is disciple. Do you see that the difference here when you read the scripture? At first, disciples were seemingly talking about the twelve, but then he calls the twelve apostles. He calls them on a the mountain and says he chose twelve that he wanted to be with him and that he could send them, and he called them apostles. So there was there was a point. See, there's there is a hierarchy, but but there are phases. All these all these should be dimensions of our relationship with God. Okay, we we everyone in here, if you believe in God and you're a Christian, you're you're a convert or a believer. If you serve anywhere, church, ministry, you're a servant. If you follow what he does, and we follow God, but we also follow him through Apostle Damon and through Pastor Jimmy, right? So we are disciples. If we're following, you could tend this church and not be a disciple. Because if God tells you to do something, you're not doing it. And if your pastor is leading us another way and we're not following that way, we could be serving, we could be believers, but we're not necessarily a disciple. Does that make sense? Does this help give you a framework of why these are individually are important? All right, number or letter D five D. These people are those close to him, they intimately know him, and he can entrust his secrets to them. Nope. Anyone know? Let me read you a scripture out of John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you. Friends, for all things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So friends of God are those that walk closely with him and know his secrets. All the 12 had a dimension of his secrets because he would tell the crowd parables. But then privately, he would tell them what the parables, they're like, master, what does that mean? And he would tell them. So they had secret or understanding of the parables that Jesus taught. That the crowd didn't. But who had, out of those 12, who had the closest ear to his heart? Who did they ask? Who would? Who did he say would betray him? Who did they ask? Anyone know from that story? John the Beloved. The Beloved one can lean in even further in that. Why? Because he knows he's loved. So being a friend of God, super cool, right? Super important. I think we'll talk more about that in a minute. All right. Letter E. These folks are adopted, belong to him, and are granted special privileges and receive an inheritance. Sons, which includes who? Daughters. Whenever you hear the word sons, it also means daughters. Jewish culture, the the father is the head of the family, so it was just identified around that, but it also includes women. Everyone knows that, but just to make sure in case you didn't. So this one may be tricky because we don't use this language too much. This last group of people, number six, or five F, are those who long for nothing more than to be with him. Think about Song of Songs, the Shulamite. Six is the lovesick bride. You could believe in God. You could be a Christian. You could be, you could serve in him. You could even follow him to a degree in your leaders, but you may not be a friend. There's a hierarchy to this, but there's also a phase. Okay? It's not just one stage. You, you could do all these and not really be a friend. Why? How do you know if you're a friend? We just read it. You hear whispers. He reveals secrets. He tells you things that sometimes you're not even allowed to tell other people. John saw stuff in the book of Revelation and said, it's not for anyone else to no. know. Why would you tell John, Jesus, if, you're not, if you didn't want him to tell everybody else? Because this is one thing that I screwed up on. Because I was taught, if you hear it, he's giving it to you for a reason. Say it. Sometimes she's like, no, I just want to share my secret with you. Can I keep you? Can I keep a secret? Now, a friend is someone that's close, but a friend has no rights. A friend has no inheritance. I don't know anyone who leaves inheritance to their friend, but guess who they leave them to? Even if they love their friend more than their own family, guess who they leave the inheritance to? Sons. When you do insurance paperwork, Ed, is it different for family than it is for outsiders? Yes. Why? Because there's... Legal, and I know we don't like this term, but adoption and sonship is a legal binding term. It is relational, yes, but it's a legal binding term that qualifies you for rights and inheritances. When we adopted Sam, our attorney had to go over the phone and the adoption agency at one point. Attorney had to go over the phone and a phone call, and I and I started crying because I I had a greater sense of adoption. You know what they they have to read what adoption is so you understand it. They're like. By adoption, do you realize this child now becomes part of your official bloodline in the eyes of the law? That he's entitled to the same degree as biological children to every estate, inheritance and right and privilege that your biological children have, he now has. Do you understand this? Yes. So Sam now has a stake in our estate when we pass away. And no one could ever take, no one could take that away from him. He, I can't disown him. Even if I said, nope, you're going to go live in a halfway house, get out of here. I'm kicking you out, giving you back to the system. Until someone else will adopt him, he still has a right to my inheritance. I can't change that now. In the eyes of the law, that's a big deal. So sonship comes with rights, privileges, position, and relationship. Everything we do is based out of sonship and daughtership. It says in John 1 that he gave right to those that believe in Jesus, that he went to the cross and resurrected and all that stuff. To so those, doesn't say that, I'm paraphrasing. To those who believe in Jesus that recognize that he's a son of God, it says he gave them the right to become what? Sons of God. So in here, we have rights. But, but you could be a believer. You could serve in a church. You could follow the leader. He could reveal some secrets to you. You could have rights and you could see God move with inheritance in your life, but you may not be as hungry as this one here. Have you ever had these moments where the lovesick bride begin to rise up in you? What did you do? You had that thing where you're just in the presence. It's you in the hotel room. I don't, I don't want to watch TV. What's more powerful, telling someone not to watch TV or something in you that just has no time for it because you're so engulfed and want to be with them so much? We don't have time for TV. Which one's more effective behavior-wise, Ed? What do you think? The one Toby did. That's right. Toby in the hotel room. I think Trent's watching Cats. So It wasn't that hard of a, no, I'm kidding. That was a different night. But Toby... With these Trent, because he was amazed at the stupidity of that movie. If you like it, I'll pray for you. Because it's not good. <laughs> so, Toby... The One night it may have been a different night. He's like, I just want God. And he put worship music on all night. And I'm like, I'm not gonna argue with that. Praise God. It was it the same night? These things interlock with each other. And what you'll find out is different times and different seasons, you'll see God highlight certain ones. I know people here, they love the love sick bride, they love Jesus, and they're a friend of God but they won't serve in the church or life dependent. So guess, guess what pastor has to do sometimes? Homie, don't play that around here. Like I get your, you got your floozy-goozy going on and that's awesome. I don't want you to stop here, but you're part of the body and you're going to serve the body. And that's right. You're part of this family. You're going to serve. You're going to grab a chair. You're going to help. You know, I like about Sam. It's kind of annoying sometimes because he's four years old because he's not, there yet where it's helped. Like he gets the towels, out fold them. He starts grabbing them and I have to clean up his mess because you don't know how to do it yet. But he grabs, tries to fold the y And I'm like, I'm not going to stop that. It's annoying because I can get it done faster. But the other side, I'm like, no, he's growing, developing a skill and I'm never going to crush his little servant heart of wanting to be a part of the family. He wanted to help make eggs the other day. He's like, no, daddy, I do it. So he got his little, grabbed the stool, came over, set it down, climbed up. So I got the big bowl, so he went and spilled it everywhere. And he went, he's done it with mommy a couple of times, but I'm like, this is my first time doing it, just me and him. And he goes, cracks the eggs, he's pouring it in there. We had to fish out 100 shells, but you know what? We got it, got the job done. <coughs> Every single, there's not, there is a hierarchy to this sometimes, but not one of these are without its own importance. Does that make sense? And so we need to be, sometimes God's just like, you just need to believe. Have you ever been there, Stuff You know what I'm talking about? You're going through a process, and you got all these things going. He's like, you just need to believe. And there's other times where it's like, God, I want to be a friend. And then he's like, well, you just need to follow your pastor. I want you to focus on being a disciple right now. That's what he's saying. Because we have this developed, but I need you to work on this here. Because you you pray with me, and we have this relationship, but you really got some things to get in order, and you're never going to get those things in order if you don't listen to your pastor. Number three, so you need to be a disciple. So, this is a a ranking system where if he's working on you on discipleship or servanthood, you're you suck because you know what I'm saying? It's just God's like, okay, we got this. I want to focus, I want you to focus on this now. Does that make sense? But they these should all be dynamics going on in our life. Now, what's the difference between a relationship and a position? A position is task oriented, there's a title, there's a task. Or task, there's responsibility in a completely different manner. So you could be in position, but may not hear. And this, it's it's kind of like this. We want the sweet spot between these two. What is relationship? Let's w- let's talk about that. Pastor talked about this at, at one point, but like, what what are some dynamics? Some healthy di- dynamics of a healthy relationship. So we have connection. What else, Toby? Communication. What else? Honesty. That's huge. Yes. Loyalty. That's very good. There's such a lack of loyalty in our culture now. Anything else about relationships? Honor. Yeah. And honor is probably reciprocal. I'll put that in the middle. And I would probably put trust. So this is all about people, right? So relationships are centered in connection with people. Communication, honesty, loyalty, trust, honor. Position's more about task, title, responsibilities, administration, getting stuff done. You don't need position to get in relationship. Position's a responsibility. And it could sometimes it can be burdensome. So a lot of people, like Pastor and I would joke for years, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, hey, you could take the church over anytime. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't need that. I'm good with God. And I'm good with you. I don't. I don't need to take a position I'm not anointed for. <laughs> You've ever seen people in positions, they're in charge of something, but they're not good over here. Go back to Trump again with that, probably. <laughs> but inside the church, outside the church, a lot of people jockey for this. Cause this here, you get paid. That's career. Career can be tied to this. Relationship, there's not that. So some people gun for this instead of this, but. Out of this, everything else flows. And when it comes to the church world, if we do everything right here, this will be blessed. Remember, authority, order, function, blessing. Talon, you had a question? Over here, that's responsibility, administration, and just like doing things. Like It kind of goes along with tasks, like getting stuff done, you could say. I know I abbreviated some of that. So in the kingdom, Jesus calls his 12 and he said, he called those, the 12 he wanted, relationship. So he could be with them, relationship. And so he could send them with power to go heal the sick, cleanse, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. That's, he's sending them out to do a task. So both these dynamics are important, but the first and foremost, everything roots from relationship. Okay, so we're almost done. Is this good? Are you learning anything? Is is this help giving you a framework to understand these different dynamics better because that's my goal because you could have good friends and be confident over here and still miss something but you could have me it you know we already went over those dynamics I'm not going to get that but these are different things that are going to affect you the rest of your life okay and I want to I'm going to go real quick and I want to end on friendship I have this thing where this lesson was from years ago from I think back in 2015 I wrote this but it's becoming a friend, living as a son. And I'm gonna read this scripture to you. It's number six on your page, number six. And to give a little pretext to this, in the book of Numbers, I could find it for you. I don't have it off the tip of my head. It's in this, in these, my note sheet here, but it actually says, if there are any prophets among you, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember word, word for word and the translations are a little different. He says, if there's a prophet among you, I'll speak to him. And riddles, dreams, or dark sayings. Now, dark sayings is not like a seance kind of thing. Dark saying means mystery. I'll speak to him in ways, and he has to figure it out, like riddles. Does that make sense? So some people translate that riddle. Some dark saying depends on the translation. But it says, but Moses, I speak to face to face, and he sees my form. So can there be a difference between the function or office of a prophet And someone that's in real close proximity of Jesus. Can there be a difference? So you could serve as a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, but not be as close to Jesus as you can be. Why? No, you're exactly right, Toby. The function, you don't pick. He appoints you. He says, I call you to be a prophet, apostle, whatever it is. It's a position. It's a function. It's not necessarily, I guess it is titled, it may or may not be a position than an organization for some people, some organizations, yes. But it's it's a position that stems out of here. But you could be even closer to him than a prophet or an apostle. Why? Because relationship. I thank God that our pastor and apostle have a very close relationship with God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's people out there that have a function of these things, but they they may not be speaking to God face to face like Moses did. Does that make sense? So with that being the context, number six, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his what? Can anyone guess? It's one of the six. Friend, this goes back to what I asked you before we got started. This last question, number seven. I want you to take, I want you to take a minute. And then we're gonna turn some music on. And we're gonna we're gonna pray just a few minutes. We're not gonna go in intercession. We're just gonna spread out through the room but I want to I set the tone right here. So number seven, we're just going to take a time of reflection. In your own words, what does it mean to be a friend of God? Because whether you like it or not, Chloe, you're a daughter of God. You became a daughter as soon as you said yes to this life. Now, if your parents are Christians and they're burning for Jesus, but you're not, You may not be living as a son or daughter, but as soon as you said yes, and you're having your own encounters and you believe on your own, not just because your parents do, guess what happens? You're now into that realm of faith and you automatically become a son or daughter no matter what. You may, your identity may not realize the depths of that yet, but the reality is that's how you're in there and that's how you're positioned. But even being a son or daughter of God, you may not be a friend. So we want to become a friend, and we want to live out of sonship. I have rights, privileges, I have inheritances, but every day he can entrust a secret to me. So let's just take a few minutes, and let's, what does it mean to be a friend of God? All right, what did you guys come up with? Let's hear those answers. Has he ever told you a secret? Like he just tells you something about some like thing in the scripture or something. And you're just like, wow, I never thought about that, Lord. Like, why'd you show me that? That's cool. Welcome to the club, dude. I don't, sometimes I try to articulate, but I don't fully get and It's a, it's a thing I need to overcome probably. Bug, you ate your hand up. There's a different dynamic to the relationship, right? I have friends. My job is not to pastor them. It's to be friends. We talk, we laugh, we have fun together. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and if you actually go to the definition of friendship, I have right here, a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. What happens to the boss-employee relationship when there's no work? Does that relationship stay? This is how you know it. the dynamic of a relationship is. If you work and the work ceases and you no longer have a relationship, you're either co-workers or you're an employee and now is your boss. Because when the work ends, there's nothing binding the relationship together. Does that make sense? But if you're a friend, does it matter what job your friends do? Are you still going to be friends with them? Even if they're a garbage man? Even if they're a millionaire? See, the, the occupation doesn't matter because the relationship is not built on position. It's built on mutual affection. Yeah, that's perfect. And so going back up to take the square one, what I'm going to end on tonight, or I would say tonight because I'm used to Sunday night, to this morning is relationship, identity, and purpose. A friend is not to be a pastor. A friend is just to be a friend and communicate and have fun. Okay? But within that same person, we often have different dynamics. Let's take Pastor Jimmy. Okay? He is my pastor. Right? That means he's in charge of this church. I came on staff last fall. So technically he's my boss. I'm his employee. So we have multiple dynamics to our relationship. We're friends. He's my boss. I'm his employee. He's my spiritual father. Because spiritual fathers don't have to be your pastor. Okay. There's people that have spiritual fathers that aren't pastors. Okay. For us, it kind of works the same. Go ahead. Yeah. it, It hits all three of these. Because... I'm an employee, that's my identity, but that comes with tasks, that's a purpose. Relationally, he's my boss. He's my boss, employee, pastor, right? So that's a whole different dynamic. Friend is a whole different dynamic. So what I'm trying to show you here is, like even with us, so you guys have a different dynamic because he's your biological father. So he's your pastor, he's your spiritual father. Some of you had him as coach. He's your coach. He's your summer biological father. That creates different dynamics in all these, doesn't it? Because a father is in charge of what? Discipline and making sure life ends up where it needs to be. A coach is just to get you to do a task good. Like you need to get your swing better. You need to, does that make sense? To make you good at a sport and help you in those areas. A pastor is to help your spiritual life. A spiritual father is guiding your whole life. Does that make sense? Friendship is someone that you have affection for. And these different dynamics can play out. And sometimes it can get tough navigating those because you have to, when I'm with pastor, for example, on vacation, I have to realize when he switches to pastor mode or spiritual dad mode, right? We're friends having fun, but I have to like pay attention sometimes. Okay, did he just switch to spiritual dad mode? That means I shut up and listen. If we're friends, we could like elbow each other and kind of like, ah, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. But if he switches in a pastor mode or spiritual father mode, I need, I just shut up and listen. There's a different dynamic there. Okay, there's a respect. It doesn't mean you don't respect your friends, but you know how it is. It's just a different dynamic. So learn how to navigate these different roles and kind of figuring that out. So it, it's just kind of cool because God fits all those things. He's our Technically, our master, because we're a servant, he's our Lord, which means he tells us what to do. <laughs> he's our teacher, right? There's all these different dynamics. And so I'm not going to go any further with um, the taking of time because we did go a little long longer than I expect, and we prayed in the beginning. But I want to challenge you in your devotional time. Start asking the Lord to come. If you feel this begin to rise up, always seek to be a friend of God. But man, pray that this overtakes you. Know that you're a son Always follow where he's leading you, yes. But really focus on becoming a friend and having the passion of a lovesick bride. Because what's the difference between a friend and a lovesick bride? A friend will love you from a distance. A lovesick bride is going where you go. If I move to California, guess who's coming with me? Jen. That dynamic, there's something different My friends are not moving to California. They might think I'm crazy. We'll still be friends from a distance, but the lovesick bride goes, wherever you go, I'm going. And so those are different dynamics. Was this helpful to you guys at all? Was this sheet helpful at all? The reason why I feel like this is so important is if you struggle with this, you're going to find this in these areas. If you just feel like you don't have meaning in your life as you grow older, listen, in my 20s, and this is common among people, Mama Jay, you may... You may agree or disagree. You could let me know. In your 20s, you're so about you and doing your thing. You just want to accomplish everything in the world. I want to go travel. I want to be a millionaire. I want to do all these things. You start getting to your 30s, you're like, man, I just want some meaning in my life because I chased that stuff for 10 years and it really didn't fulfill me. You you, you tend to be initially real accomplishment heavy, and then you go into in my 30s, I was like, man, I just want to help people. I want to have an impact. And now that I'm in my 40s and I'm a dad, guess what it's all about? Do I want to have an impact? Sure. But if I had 100% scale, it's 70% relationships. Eh, If I never accomplish that, it's okay. I'm just going to be a good dad and make sure he has everything else. So these things, even as we age and go through the stage of life, constantly play a role in our lives. But they may change over time. You're in middle school or high school. You're trying to figure out where you're going to be. This thing, your your accomplishments and your career and all these things are intertwined, but let them completely align with your purpose. Brandon, what do you got? Yeah, yeah. So in particular, he talks about identity and all that stuff in regards to relationships. So this looks like this. Before you find the one you marry, be 100% you. Because if you're only at 50%, 70%, we think, we think you completely, the whole like, that movie from like the early 2000s, Jerry Maguire was it. You complete me. No, God completes you. So if you think you're 50% and she, her 50% is going to make a hundred. No, you're actually a hundred percent off. Like you're a hundred points off. If you're a hundred percent, she's a hundred percent. You guys are going to be in perfect union, right? As you guys learn to mesh with that. So let's stand up and pray and end this thing. I hope you all like learned something that this helps I really felt like today wasn't about excitement, as obviously you can tell, but it was about putting stuff in perspective and putting a framework there that could really help you understand as you move on, this is the dynamic that the Lord's doing. Because sometimes what he's doing here personally may not be what's happening corporately. So there's sometimes corporately... The Lord's focus on servant or discipleship, but to me, this is what I'm longing for. And if I'm not careful, I'll allow this to separate me from what's going on corporately. Because, like, man, I don't feel like that's what God's doing. No, God's waking a lovesick bride in you. But corporately as a family, as a group, we're moving in two and three together. But you're privately in six. So is this, if if you're here, does that mean God's not doing that? No, it means he's doing both. It means in you personally, in your private time, he's awakened a lovesick bride. But here, he's trying to get us to follow so we could be where we want to be. All right, lift your hands. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, we ask for extraordinary grace to walk as a friend, to be a friend, and to become a friend, and to live as a son and daughter, to know that we have special privileges, the inheritances that you've bestowed upon us that you'll never let us go. And Father, that you come in, that you move with friendship, that you begin to reveal secrets and whispers, that you unveil the scriptures to me, that you show me your ways. I don't want to just know your acts. I believe in your acts and I honor those, but I want to know your ways. That way when I hit a stumbling block or I hit an obstacle in life, I know you'll trust me because not just because of what you've done, but because who you are and the way you think. You said in Jeremiah 29-11, I know the thoughts I have for you for a future, and I hope I want to know the thoughts of God toward me and my life and my past, present, and my future, that I may walk with you as a friend and live as a son. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.